0: With the ECT, you obviously can't even perform your own environmental legislation stemming from EU environmental legislation without risking a potential dispute and a potential huge compensation. And this is exactly what happened in Slovenia.
1: Over the past decades, the European Union has been putting into place legislation to fight against climate change and face down fossil fuels. Member states have followed by implementing national policies to protect the environment. However, Investors active in the fossil energy business can still push governments to weaken environmental legislation. How? The most litigated investment protection tool used by fossil fuel companies is the so-called ECT, short for Energy Charter Treaty. The Energy Charter Treaty, or ECT, is an old piece of legislation from 1998 that collides with a fight against climate change. But how does the Energy Charter Treaty protect investments in fossil fuels? Why does it allow companies to sue states when implementing climate policies? And most importantly, is there a way out? Welcome to the European Greens podcast, a podcast by the European Greens analyzing the most important policy measures put in place by EU institutions through in-depth interviews and stories from the ground. My name is Sibylle Stefan and I'm a member of the committee of the European Green Party.
0: My name is Andrej Gnezda. I work for an NGO here in Slovenia called Dumanotera. We've been around for 25 plus years. I've joined Dumanotera roughly 10 years ago and the areas or topics that I cover most is trade, industrial policy, also green budget reform, I also try to follow the developments on the renewable side, on the energy efficiency.
1: Andrei Knesta is a project manager at Umanotera, the Slovenian Foundation for Sustainable Development, a leading NGO in the environmental field since its beginning 25 years ago. Over the past two decades, Umanotera has systematically fought to bring social justice and balance between humans and nature in Slovenia. In practical terms, this means being at the forefront of the battle against the Energy Charter Treaty. For Andre, this is a battle with its own name, Essen Resources versus Slovenia.
0: The Ascent case did really show in a plastic way how dangerous the ECT can be. Basically, if you have an investment covered by the ECT, you can virtually all do almost nothing with it without potentially getting a dispute and a demand for a large compensation. And this is exactly what happened in Slovenia.
1: In July 2020, a UK gas company called Essen Resources officially began procedures to start an investor dispute against Slovenia for taking measures to protect its groundwater from fracking. As Andrei says, this suit was possible under the controversial Energy Charter Treaty, but how and when did all of this start?
0: It all began roughly in 2011 when the company called Ascent Resources started performing test fracking at the site. Basically, this was a, by then an abandoned oil field, and Ascent brought some shares of an existing company coming through that investment to Slovenia with the plans of extracting gas. Because once the site was abandoned, they apparently found large amounts of gas still being in that field, but the idea was that you have to frack to get the gas out of that field.
1: So in 2011, the British company and Resources started performing test fracking in Petijovski, a locality in eastern Slovenia, to develop a new gas project, something that took its inhabitants by surprise.
0: What the locals told us back then was that basically nobody asked them, nobody involved them, nobody told them about the plans. At one point, just the ground started shaking beneath their feet and the night was illuminated by flares of methane that was burned on the site. Imagine having found yourself in such a situation where you didn't know really what was going on. Nobody told you about this. And literally the grounds beneath your feet are shaking.
1: According to Andre, Aston Resources never got in touch with the inhabitants of Petiszowski, where the company wanted to perform fracking. Let's recall the hydraulic fracturing is a method used to extract natural gas from deep within the earth's surface that has many negative effects on the environment and health. Without rigorous safety regulations, it can poison groundwater, pollute surface water and threaten wildlife. Not to mention the toxic air pollution resulting from fracking is associated with severe health issues and it can result in higher climate emissions than normal gas exploration. Yet, as Andrei told us, it appears people living in Petrizovsky never heard about this from the beginning. They were not warned about what was going on roughly one kilometer away from their homes.
0: In the vicinity, there's the Natura 2000 site declared and also a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve declared. So this is really a sensitive area to perform such projects. And there's also a lot of groundwaters not really deep enough. So... There were a lot of risks and the population really wasn't informed on what was going on. So they started asking questions. They started protesting at one point, of course, which is completely natural in such cases.
1: So the local community organized protests against Aston Resources' fracking initiative. They started asking the right questions and demanded environmental inspections.
0: First off, of course, it was gathering all the locals, so having a public roundtable, a debate where all the locals came and started talking about this and asking questions, and they invited local authorities over there. On the other hand, they also called inspections, because basically they didn't have any permits at the time, they just started developing the project. So they also called environmental inspections.
1: The main concern of Petrusovsky's inhabitants and Slovenian NGOs, such as Humanotera, was water-related issues. Pitizovsky is a water-rich area, so the risk of potentially contaminating the groundwaters was high. Therefore, they only wanted the gas project to be properly assessed, an impact assessment that Ascent Resources opposed to.
0: I think this is the core of the problem. Our environmental agency decided that they need to perform an environmental impact assessment and obtain the needed consents for such a project. And the company, instead of doing that, they immediately went and started threatening to file a dispute under the ECT. With the ECT, you obviously can't even perform your own environmental legislation stemming from EU environmental legislation without risking a potential dispute and a potential huge compensation. And this is exactly what happened in Slovenia.
1: As Andre explains, once the Slovenian Environmental Agency established that an environmental impact assessment needed to be done by asset Resources, the British investors started invoking claims about filing a dispute under the Energy Charter Treaty, a threat understood by Uma Notera as a way to pressure the Slovenian government.
0: They were using this as a potential leverage to influence the decision of our government so that this decision would be changed into a more favorable decision for Ascent Resources, be it in terms of getting the needed permits or not having to undergo the environmental impact assessment, be it in the form of compensation.
1: Literally, this is what Ascent Resources said on several occasions. Let's hear Andre read a letter sent by the gas company.
0: The investors reiterate that although they continue to sincerely hope that an amicable solution can be found to the present dispute, at this stage there can be no certainty that an amicable settlement will be achieved with the Republic of Slovenia and fully reserve all of their rights and remedies arising out of Slovenia's treaty breaches should an attractive settlement offer not be forthcoming. So this is basically once they already announced that they would file a dispute, unless there would be a so-called amicable solution, which basically in the form of an attractive settlement, which I read as give us some sort of financial compensation or we will proceed with the dispute and use the ECT to initiate an arbitration proceeding against Slovenia. Unfortunately, it did come into play because in the end they did file the dispute.
1: In the end, Essent Resources launched a claim against the Slovenian government under the ECT seeking more than 100 million euros of taxpayers' money in damages.
0: The government did not cave in and rejected all these claims. Ascent Resources claimed initially that they would seek for a claim in the amount of roughly 120 million euros within this dispute. Once they actually filed the dispute, I think that was roughly the amount they were seeking in it. But during the recent energy crisis and energy price hike, they've raised the amount they are seeking within the dispute to a half of billion because the gas price went up. Within this amount, they are not claiming only the money they have, by their own words, invested into the project, which was supposed to be 15 million euros. Obviously, they are seeking the so-called lost profits. That's all the potential profits and the revenue that would be made by this project during its entire operation.
1: So instead of performing the needed impact assessment for fracking gas in Petrusovsky, Ascent Resources is suing Andres country for 500 million euro. The UK company claims that Souvenia has taken measures that have harmed its investment and expected benefits, which are protected under the Energy Charter Treaty. The Ascent Resources versus Slovenia case is just an example of how the ECT is being used by big corporations to obtain profits and push governments to weaken climate and environmental policies.
0: Everybody's really scared of what the outcome of this dispute will be, because nobody really wants to pay half a billion euros just because they were enacting their own environmental legislation. I think that's complete insanity and just really straightforward, shows how the is really something dangerous and something that we need to pull out immediately.
1: The Essend Resource v. Slovenia case is still a pending procedure. Although the dispute was filed, no one can expect a decision soon, as these proceedings usually take some time. For now, Andrei and the people of Petisovsky can only wait and see what consequences the Energy Charter Treaty has for their country. Anna Cavazzini is a German member of the European Parliament who has been leading the position of the greens efa Group on the Energy Charter Treaty. The ECT has been in force since 1998 and is the world's most litigated investment protection treaty. More recently, in November 2022, the European Parliament adopted a report calling for the EU to exit the Energy Charter Treaty, so we invited Anna Cavazzini to analyze in depth the main aspects of this treaty, why the European Parliament called the EU to withdraw from it and what a coordinated exit in the end would look like. Anna, you have been leading the position of the European Parliament on the Energy Charter Treaty. So could you please introduce yourself briefly and what you've done in the European Parliament?
2: I'm member of the European Parliament for the German Greens, and I'm active in the Trade Committee, and I'm also chair of the Internal Market Committee. Since the beginning of my term, I work on fair trade relations, and as very few people probably know, there's not only trade agreements, but also investment protection agreements. And the Energy Charter Treaty is... An investment protection agreement, a really bad one. Since the beginning of the term, I had actually been working on criticizing it and getting the parliament to adopt a very critical position towards this treaty because it is protecting fossil fuel investment. In front of private international arbitration panels.
1: So the Energy Charter Treaty has been heavily criticized and people call it the climate killer. Maybe you can lead us a little bit through its content. Why is it so harmful,
2: dangerous? The Energy Charter Treaty is an old investment treaty, a kind of dinosaur from the 90s, where it was very much in fashion to start with New gas and oil um, investments, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, um, shortly after the war came down and the Iron Curtain came down. Back then, the idea was, okay, Western European companies need to be protected in a very unstable political environment. In the last years, it turned out that this idea was completely turned around and a lot of investors used this treaty to go forward against states for any climate measure or any transition measure these states were putting forward. It is the most litigated international investment treaty in the world. And the biggest problem for me is that you don't have a proper rule of law system with standing judges and basically an appeal system, but you just have three private arbitrators that basically decide about billions of billions of taxpayers' money if states want to protect the climate and transition their energy systems. That is why the treaty is completely outdated and was completely turned around. Every time I hear about the Energy Charter Treaty, I'm wondering how states could ever
1: sign something like this. But under the current treaty, there's basically no way out, right? So there's no way to escape this compensation claims.
2: Yeah, the current treaty is so bad that even the European Commission some years ago noticed that they need to change something. And they started a kind of lukewarm reform process. Lukewarm because the biggest problems were not addressed And all what the commission wanted to do was change some cosmetics of this very dangerous treaty. But indeed, it is very, very difficult to get out of this. And this was your question because the treaty has a 20 years sunset clause. Actually, a lot of international investment agreements and also trade agreements have these kind of sunset clauses that make policy changes and movements of like getting rid of those treaties quite difficult. And I think these are also lessons for the future. Governments should probably be careful when they sign new investment protection agreements and governments should in the future also change these horrible sunset clauses, which makes exits or policy changes really difficult.
1: You already mentioned this modernization process. What were the main points that in the end... As far as I know, I didn't find a majority because it doesn't go far enough. So where are we in this modernization process? And maybe you can also say a little bit about the role of the
2: Greens in government. Originally, the idea of the reform process, or if it had been done in a proper way, would include all member states of the Energy Charter Treaty because it is not only the European Union and its member states, but also Switzerland, the UK and all the Central and Eastern European countries, plus Japan, who are members. And the idea would have been to say we don't protect fossil fuel investment anymore and all the member states of the Energy Charter Treaty are included in this reform. But we ended up with a very limited approach. Only the EU member states wanted to do the reform at the end. And that is why... There were no really big changes. Fossil fuel investments would have still been protected only 10 years. And this is less than the sunset clause, but only after three quarters of the member states of the Energy Charter ratified. So at the end, we would have also ended with probably 20 years more protection. And the problem was the dangerous system of private arbitration would have been there for the rest of our lives, would have been there forever. So we would have been stuck in this bad treaty forever and other forms of energy would have been also protected, for example, hydrogen or some nuclear energy. And that is why we as Greens and also a lot of NGOs had decided there are two bads. Let's take the less evil, the exit, and let's get rid of this treaty completely. Let's not stay in a half-reformed treaty that can still lead to dangerous claims in the future. And that is why also seven member states blocked this reform in a council meeting in autumn last year. And that is why also the parliament, I would say under my leadership, said that we don't want this half good reform. We want the exit.
1: As you mentioned last autumn, there was a lot of, dynamic against the ECT.
2: I'm wondering what happened since then. So where are we now in the process? The reform, the modernization kind of failed in the council and in parliament, as I said. And since then, I think we are in a reorientation phase. So the commission just presented a so-called non-paper to the member states, to the council with three different options. And the preferred option of the commission, and this is quite interesting, is also now a coordinated exit. So an exit of the EU and all the member states. And many member states like Spain and the Netherlands and also Germany, where the Greens are in government and where the Greens in government pushed a lot for the exit, they want to now also convince the other member states who are a little bit more doubtful that the exit is absolutely the best. And I hope that also all the governments where the Greens form Parts of this government can also join this because we still need a qualified majority for the exit. My last question to you is, so how would this coordinated exit look in practice? How would it work? And we
1: interviewed André in the first part of this podcast, who told us how NGOs are still really keeping up the pressure. What is now needed also from civil society across
2: Europe to keep up the pressure? A coordinated exit means... That The EU decides to exit the Energy Charter Treaty, and there we need a decision by the parliament, but also the qualified majority of the council. And then every individual member state also needs to exit. And this is basically, you just write a notification to the Energy Charter Treaty Secretariat. And it's really, really important that after that, all the EU member states negotiate a kind of new agreement where they say all the pending protected investments cannot be sued by European companies. So they basically say we don't sue each other within the European Union and that would also basically almost nullify the sunset clause that I explained at the beginning. I think it is important that civil society and also Greens all over Europe keep now the pressure up because now is exactly the crucial moment we are at like this big crossroads do we manage to complete the fight that a lot of the climate activists and us had been living for years or do we end up at the end in a horrible like limbo situation where nothing happens for another three years i think this should be absolutely avoided and that's why we need civil society activists and greens all over europe to put up pressure and increase the pressure thank you very much thank you very much to the egp for this interview you can follow
1: the work of Anna Cavazzini at Anna Cavazzini, that is A-N-N-A-C-A-V-A-Z-Z-I-N-I. And you can also follow André's organization on Twitter, which is at Umanotera, that is U-M-A-N-O-T-E-R-A. And that's it for this episode of the European Greens podcast. Editing and mixing is by Jérémy Bouquet and Thomas Kusberg. Scriptwriting by Maria Dios. And my name is Sibylle Stefan. We'd be happy to hear from you with feedback about this episode. You can reach out to us via our social media accounts. You'll find them at the European Greens. Until next time, goodbye!